Hey everyone, this is M Black Writes, a podcast for people who love stories, and I'm your host, M Black. Hello, and welcome back to Vanity Unfair Part 2. Thank you so much to all of you who sent me messages over the past week about how much you liked last week's episode, Vanity Unfair Part 1. I think it's really awesome that so many of you took the time out of your day to send me something to let me know that you liked it and that maybe you cried because (laughs) that made me feel good because clearly I was crying. (laughs) And I said a lot of things in that episode that were kind of touchy subjects and and I felt like I was pretty vulnerable and I was a little bit nervous about putting it out there. When I actually published it, I seriously sat there with my finger like hovering over the publish button for several minutes because I was so nervous about it. So thank you for letting me know that you liked it. And I hope that my hope with that episode was that you guys learned some things, especially from Megan's interview, which you're going to be getting the second half of that today. And it's really, really good too. So I hope you guys learned some things. I hope it made an impact, made you think about some things. I know it's different than what I usually do, and this episode's going to be different too, but I'm glad that I'm glad that at least some of you enjoyed it and took the time to let me know that you did. So thank you. And over the past week, we made it to 150 followers on Instagram. So that means we met our goal. You guys are getting a mini episode, and I'm getting really excited about it. If you follow me on Instagram, you know I'm doing a choose-your-own-adventure story, and thank you so much to all of you who are answering the questions. I'm getting really good responses to it, and a lot of people are responding, which is awesome. It means I'm getting accurate data of what you guys actually want to hear, and I'm really excited with how the story is starting to form. It's really just in like the basics Right now, I have a notebook with scribbles all over it, and I'm using what you guys are answering to kind of just form the plot a little bit. Um, I think it's going to be a couple more days before I really start writing it, and then I'm I'm not going to give you a time of when I'm actually going to put it out there because I don't know. I have no idea. I would say sometime before next month, though, which I know is kind of soon, so... But I would say it's going to come out before May. And then in May, I've got a new episode coming out. It's going to be all about food. I did a really good interview a few nights ago with an author of a children's cookbook. Her name is Donna Glass. Her cookbook is called Be a Superhero in the Kitchen. Her interview was awesome. Go check out her book. I own it and I've done some of the recipes with my son and it's the recipes are easy simple, fun to do. My kid likes them. So it's good. Go check her out. You can get it on Amazon. That's where I got my copy of it. So that's coming out. I also, I've done two interviews this week. I did another interview for June's episode. I'm not going to tell you about it just yet. I'll tell you about it later, but it was really fun. And I am proud of myself because I'm interviewing all these people who are complete and total strangers. And that is so outside of my comfort zone. I also wanted to remind you guys that I'm still offering a bonus episode of journal entries if I get to 20 reviews on Apple Podcasts. But 
going to give you a little bit more information on this because since my last episode, when I reminded you guys that, I have got a few more ratings on Apple Podcasts, which is awesome. I want those too. They help too. But the deal is for reviews. Like you actually have to type a review. If you just give me a star rating, that's not counting towards the bonus episode. So you actually have to get on there and type something. It could just be like, cool podcast. And that would count. Just anything. You just have to get on there and type something. And that counts as one of the reviews. And when I get to 20, I will crack open my next journal and do another bonus episode of journal entries. All right. Let's get into it. If you follow me on Instagram and you watch my stories, you know that last week when I got to work, one of the first things that somebody said to me was to ask me if I was pregnant. (laughs) And I know it probably seems like because I posted about this on my Instagram that I'm like really angry at that person. I'm not. I wasn't even angry in the moment, really. Did I let it ruin my day? Yes, I 100% let it ruin my day. I asked you guys to give me reasons that you could come up with why you should not ask somebody if they're pregnant. And you guys, you are so wise. <laughs> I, You gave me so many answers that I hadn't even thought of. And I think we have a pretty great comprehensive list. So if you are somebody listening who makes it a regular practice to ask people if they are pregnant because you assume they are based off of how they look or even because you heard a rumor about them because that's also happened to me. This is not the first time somebody has asked me if I'm pregnant. This is like the way too manyth time that somebody has asked me if I am pregnant. But the other times before were based off of rumors that people were spreading about me. This time was, I think, I mean, I didn't ask the person, but I think just based off of what I look like. So that was fun. But if you are a person who is regularly asking people if they are pregnant, please stop. Just stop. Please stop. And here are a lot of reasons why you should stop. The first and most commonly submitted answer was submitted by most people almost word for word. And I'm going to give you a warning. It includes a mild swear word. So if you got kids with you, I'm about to swear. The most commonly submitted answer was, it's none of your damn business. <laughs> or as I like to say, none yet. Um, the second most commonly submitted answer and the most that's like, no dur, no brainer, don't ask people is because infertility, so many different reasons with relating to infertility. You don't know if they're struggling to have a baby. You don't know if they just lost a baby or had a miscarriage. You don't know if they've been trying to do IFE and it failed. There's so many things relating to infertility or the loss of a baby that that alone is enough to 
quit asking people that question. Then I just have a long list of lots of other good reasons. This one I really liked a lot. This was talking about um, somebody said she has a lot of friends who have been really, really struggling for a long time to get pregnant. And when people ask them if they are pregnant, it makes them feel like they aren't worthy or they aren't powerful. And I don't know. I just, that's, I haven't experienced that personally myself, but I really liked that perspective. I mean, I don't like that people are are out there feeling that way, but I like knowing that perspective. Um, Another really common answer is it's rude. I mean, it is, it is, it's rude. (laughs) And then I've got um, two that are just funny and silly. (laughs) This one says, what if I just like food a little too much and I hate exercising because I can't breathe and I almost die? (laughs) And then the other one was because it's most likely fried chicken and donuts. (laughs) Then I really like this one too. Is there, is there ever a reason that you should? No, there's not. Unless it is your spouse and you've been trying to get pregnant for a long time yeah that's a good situation to ask if you're pregnant but if you are not within the marriage or the couple which is trying or not trying to conceive just don't ask next it's an invasive question about personal things relating to your body maybe they're having marital problems or relationship problems and they want a baby but they can't or don't feel like they should because their marriage is not in a good place there could be any number of things happening behind closed doors and you just you don't know maybe they are pregnant but don't want to tell people Maybe they or their spouse don't want kids anymore and it's a touchy subject for them. Maybe they're having financial problems and they want a baby but are choosing not to have a baby because they feel like they can't afford it. And the last one is that it insinuates weight gain. And this is just a nice little segue into one more thing that I wanted to say, which kind of ties a little bit to some things that I talked about last week but I think we all just need to stop commenting on each other's bodies good or bad which I know some of you are probably going to be annoyed that I said good too but here's why so I used to be somebody who always complimented people on their bodies looking awesome but I just don't think it's good and I don't do it anymore because for the same reasons that I mentioned last week, I don't want people to think that what I value most in them is what they look like or what their body looks like or what their hair looks like or what their clothes are. I don't want people to think that that is what I value in them and I don't personally want to think that that is what people value in me and I'm not saying that I don't 
compliment people ever on their looks. I do. It's ingrained in me. I, because some of you are probably like, okay, you just told me I was pretty like two days ago because I do. I, I do do that all the time, but I'm trying to make a conscious effort to not only do that, but also compliment people for their qualities, not relating to appearance. And I'm trying to make it so that that outbalances the compliments that I give them on their appearance. And I'm trying to never anymore comment on people's bodies. Like if I give you a compliment, it's usually your hair, your clothes, something like that. But I, I try to stay away from saying anything about people's bodies. I might slip up here or there because like I said, it's just really ingrained in me, but I'm trying really, really hard not to do that. And I've had a lot of people have conversations with me since this episode came out and before about how people treat them differently based on their weight. So these people who have had fluctuating weights over the years, the difference between how people treat them when they are heavier versus how people treat them when they are smaller, even if it's because they are sick, whether it be because they're struggling with an eating disorder or because they are so depressed that they can barely even eat, even if they have lost weight because of those reasons, they still get more positive attention from people and are praised for it. And anyways, those are just, that's just my two cents and I'm not trying to be like preachy or self-righteous or anything because like I said, I have done this my whole life. I am a part of the problem and I'm trying to not be a part of the problem anymore. And I know that it's annoying because we live in a time where everybody feels like they can't say anything about anything because somebody out there is going to be angry about the thing that they said and tell them why they are such a bad person for saying it. But what I'm saying is let's just be more mindful about the things that we are saying and just think about it. Think before you speak and life would be better because your words are important. Your words have impact. Table of contents. Story number one, got him with my calves. Story number two, how to look hot in middle school. Interview with Meg Black of Trials and Triumphs. I really like this first story because when I posed the question on Instagram about silly things that you do to impress people with your looks, I was not expecting at all that somebody would say that they used their calves as a way to get a guy's attention. I just think that's so silly and funny.
Got Him With My Calves, a story based on true events written by M. Black. Don't you dare steal that spot. It's mine, Amber thought desperately. A boy in a blue hoodie and white Converse shoes hovered around the seat Amber usually sat in during Math 1050. Upon spotting one of his friends, he walked across the room. Amber seized this opportunity to swoop into her pride's seat. Normally, she would not care which seat she sat in. This was a college class. There were no assigned seating. However, Garrett always sat in the same spot. Amber felt an intense need to sit in the seat right in front of Garrett. At the beginning of the semester, when the class had begun, Amber had immediately noticed Garrett's good looks. As the class had progressed, she discovered that not only was he attractive, he was also kind, intelligent, and funny. Her mild physical interest had developed into strong feelings. Unfortunately, Math 1050 wasn't conducive to many opportunities for conversation with the man she was pining after. She had to resort to playing up her physical attributes to get his attention. This meant placing herself in his direct line of vision, hence the ever-important seat choice. Amber had a routine. Each time class began, she would take her seat in front of Garrett, accompanied with a quick greeting, a simple, Hi, or maybe even a, Hi, Garrett. Occasionally, she would mix it up and say, What's up? She once panicked and blurted out, What's crack a lack and G, man? But she doesn't like to think about that. After taking her seat and saying hello, she would get to work on attempting to capture Garrett's attention. Like a peacock spreading its feathers, any time Amber felt Garrett's eyes on her, she would flex her calves, hoping that Garrett would admire them and appreciate her toned legs. She didn't have much else to work with, besides her hair, which she always ensured looked its best for Garrett's benefit. Her calves were about the only thing left for her to use to entice him, due to the fact that the back of her was all that he could see and most of her body was covered by the chair she was sitting in. However, she had been employing these tactics for the entire semester and had yet to see the fruits of her labor. Amber was starting to lose hope. She was also falling behind in the class due to her incessant muscle flexing distracting her from what was being taught. As the class wrapped up, Amber lingered in her seat, neatly stacking her books in an effort to kill time. Garrett was in the front of the room, speaking with the professor. If the fates aligned, she could walk out of the room at the same time as Garrett. But if he took too long and the room cleared of other students too quickly, Amber would be forced to leave or otherwise make it obvious that she was waiting for him. The professor laughed heartily at something Garrett said, which only encouraged him to speak longer. Besides this pair of chuckling comrades, it was down to Amber and one other person in the room, who had just flung his backpack over his shoulder and was preparing to leave. Ugh, why does he have to be so charming? Amber muttered under her breath as she slipped out of the room quickly before the guy with the backpack, ensuring that she wasn't the last one out. Forlornly, she descended the stairs that would lead to the parking lot. Amber! Hey! Amber! Amber turned to see Garrett trotting down the stairs towards her. She froze in her tracks. I was wondering if you'd like to go on a run with me in the morning. Uh, what? Garrett cocked his head to one side, puzzled, 
much like a puppy hearing an unfamiliar sound. Oh, sorry, I just assumed. You're always in workout gear, and you seem like a runner, I guess. I don't know why I had it in my head that you are. Amber's insides felt like they were being lifted by helium. So he had taken notice of all of her efforts. No, no, I mean, I am. I do go running. I am a runner. She was lying. She was not a runner. Cardio was not her strong suit. So you just don't want to go with me then? Garrett asked coyly. I absolutely want to go with you. You just caught me off guard is all. Great. I was thinking we could go around 6 a.m. to beat the heat. Oh, Amber said, hating the idea of this already. That sounds good. And, um, how far were you thinking? The route I take is about three miles, give or take. Three miles? Whew. Okay, let's do it. Stop agreeing to things. Amber yelled at herself in her mind. She had never run three miles in her life. Awesome. Meet me in front of the library at six, Garrett instructed as he continued down the stairs. See you in the morning. That evening, Amber stood at the edge of the track, placing earbuds into each ear. You can do this. She whispered the affirmation to herself as she set out in a steady-paced jog. Before she had even hit a mile, that miserable burn in her side was beginning to spread, and her throat felt like she had swallowed hot lava. <sighs> you can do this, she said once more, exasperated this time. Slowing down to a near crawl, but still technically jogging, she made it a mile and a half before giving up entirely. Flush-faced and wheezing, she began walking back to her car while flinging her head back to inhale copious amounts of water from her bottle. When she was done taking one last long sip, she lowered the bottle to find none other than Garrett standing on the sidewalk ahead of her. Hey, you don't run usually, do you? He questioned with a knowing smile. No, Amber admitted, breathing heavily. I do not. I just really wanted to spend time with you. Garrett chuckled. Then why haven't you asked me to hang out before? I don't know, Amber said, embarrassed. Do you want to go to breakfast with me in the morning after my run? Yes, <laughs> I would love to. Garrett walked Amber to her car. The two chatted easily. Even upon reaching her car, they stood for several more minutes, making light conversation. Well, I better let you go, Amber, who doesn't run. Garrett finally said wryly while opening up the driver's side door for her. She grinned sheepishly and got into the car. Can I ask you something before you go? Sure, answered Garrett. Do you think I have nice calves? Garrett laughed, furrowed his brows, and tilted his head in that puppy-dog way again. <laughs> I think you have beautiful calves. The woman closed the journal and set it on the coffee table in front of her. 
Her daughter, who was sitting next to her on the couch, sat up from her relaxed position. Is that true, Grandma? Is that really how you met Grandpa? The girl inquired. Yes, dear. I got him with my cats, Amber replied. So like I've said before, when I write these stories, I really just take what you say and then add my own stuff to it. But what I love the most about this story is the people, the real true life people that were the inspiration for this story really did get married in real life. As I have before, I got a lot of submissions for this episode that were dealing with middle school. So I took all of them, plus ones that didn't specifically say middle school, but that still fit. And I mixed them all together in one to create this story, How to Look Hot in Middle School. How to Look Hot in Middle School a story based on true events written by M. Black. Remington Middle School was buzzing. It all started when Sally Crenshaw made a discovery on her way to the restroom during advanced language arts. After asking to be excused, Sally ventured into the hallway wearing a ridiculous neon orange construction vest with the words Hall Pass haphazardly scrawled across the back in black sharpie. When she had made it to the restroom, she had almost missed the artifact that would send the school into a frenzy, but her peripheral vision caught it at the last second. As she swung the door open, she noticed a carefully folded piece of blue paper taped to the door. Open me. Important. Please read, the front of the paper demanded of Sally. She pulled it off of the door and ducked into the girl's room. When she sat down to do her business, she opened the note, which was so desperate to be read. Dear girls of Remington Middle School, the mysterious blue paper proclaimed, next week we will be putting out a hot list. Will you be on it? Wait and see. Sally was perturbed by this for several reasons. First, the perpetrator of the note had terrible handwriting. Second, this person had spelled the word hot, H-A-W-T. And being that she was in advanced language arts, misspellings tended to bother her. And third, who thought that they had the authority to deem which girls were hot or not? Being the level-headed girl that she was, Sally decided she would throw the controversial letter in the garbage and not tell another soul about it. However, her plan was foiled when she stepped out of the stall and was met face-to-face -face with her friend Margaret. Fancy meeting you here, Sally. This is lucky that we both ended up in here at the same time. I didn't think Mr. Gronin was going to let me go, but Miss Ackerman, of course, would let you go whenever you want. I mean, you are her star student. Us lowly kids in the regular language arts class don't always have such privileges. She said, exaggeratedly, jabbing Sally in the arm with her elbow. Sally made the mistake of immediately trying to hide the blue paper. Hey, what's that? It's nothing. Oh my gosh, did Harry give you another love letter? No, it's just a piece of paper I need to throw out. If it's just a piece of paper, let me see it then. 
Sally wasn't big on controversy, so she gave up the note to Margaret. Where did you find this? Taped to the bathroom door on my way in. We have to tell everyone. Margaret was the spark that set Blaze to the school, and by the end of the day, news of the soon-to-be hot list was all that could be talked about. The next day in Mr. Newble's science class, someone had graffitied the words hot or not, followed by four looming question marks in blue expo marker across the long whiteboard. Whoever did this is going to be in hot water because this is not appropriate in my classroom, Mr. Newble joked upon entering the room. What? You can't even humor me with a light chuckle? Sorry, Mr. Noobs, you aren't as funny as you think you are, Mason Deckley jabbed. Mr. Newble was the kind of teacher you could relax around. And just for that, Mr. Dex, you get to clean it up, Mr. Newble jested while tossing the eraser to Mason. All right, today we are talking about the structure of an atom. Mr. Newble's voice became Charlie Brown peanut-style garble in the background as three of the girls in the room became simultaneously fixated on the pointed question Mason Deckley was removing from the board with wide strokes. Am I hot or not? The girls ruminated. Will I be on that list? Holly Wendell pondered on the upcoming school trip to the water park. Surely, for whoever was the creator of this list, this event would weigh heavily as a deciding factor. Diana Holson was becoming more and more distressed about the state of her hair. She had been begging her mom to let her get bangs like all of the other girls for quite some time, but her mother was persistent that she would be better off leaving her hair as is. Diana felt that her mom had no understanding of current styles and wasn't treating her fairly. For Bailey Carson, her thoughts were consumed by her fingers. She laid them out on her desk, hating them more with every second of her careful examination. Her best friend, Tina, was a shoe-in for the hot list. Bailey had never seen such beautiful, long, slender fingers before. Perfect for piano playing. If the author of the hot list would be in attendance to the recital this weekend, there is no way Tina wouldn't make the cut. That night, each of the three girls made efforts to fix their supposed plights. Holly stood in front of the mirror in last year's swimsuit. It was a little snug, but it fit all right and it would have to suffice. The real concern for her was the lack of sunlight her skin had been exposed to through the winter. Her arms, legs, and face were tan enough because softball had been in full swing for a few weeks now. It was the other parts of her body that weren't usually showing, which were causing her panic. From the scooped neckline of her swimming suit to the base of her neck, there was a definite change in coloration, with a hard line revealing where her softball jersey ended. In her parents' master bathroom, she knew there was a bottle of product that could remedy this. Standing on top of the toilet seat lid, she rummaged through the basket inside of the cabinet, eventually finding what she was looking for, and swiping off the dust particles that had accumulated on it. Holly's saving grace was a bright yellow plastic bottle with a pool water blue pump top lid, a cheerful looking picture of the sun, and the words golden goddess self-tanning lotion 
were emblazoned on the front. It took several pumps before the dried blockage dislodged and the warm-colored lotion exploded into Holly's hand. She was engulfed by the chemical smell masquerading as coconut fragrance. Under the vanity bulbs of her mother's large bathroom mirror, Holly plastered the self-tanner across her chest and neck. "'What you doing?' Holly jumped in surprise. "'Mom! Jeez! How long have you been standing there?' "'Long enough to see you wipe that gross old lotion on yourself,' she chuckled. "'Do you think it'll work?' Holly's mother shrugged. Mm, "'Time will tell, I guess. Are you worried about the school trip?' "'A little bit, yeah.' Smiling, her mother replied, "'That's normal, I think. Let me ask you something, though. What would be worse for you, not having any fun or not looking how you think you should?' Holly waited a while before answering. "'Not having any fun. I love water parks.' Do you think it will be very fun if you spend the whole time thinking about what other people are thinking about how you look? Probably not. Right. So put on your cute swimsuit, shave your legs if you want, use more of this gunk if you feel like you need to, her mother said, holding up the bottle. But don't let it ruin your time with your friends. Diana, too, stood determinately staring at her reflection. In her vice-like grip were a pair of scissors. In her mind, she imagined the hairstyles of all of her friends. Tight curls done with a curling iron, paired with straight bangs. Sure, she could curl her hair, probably better than most of them, but it never had the same effect without the flat, ironed bangs. She set the scissors down, not because of lack of will, but because she wanted to be precise. Using both hands, she measured out the chunk of hair that would become her new sideswept style. Holding on to the chosen tresses with one hand, she once again picked up the scissors with the other. Angling her fingers to her desired mark, Diana began making her cut. Trying to imitate what she had seen hairdressers do, she slid and wiggled the scissors carefully until there was nothing left between her fingers to cut. Exhaling proudly, she picked up the straightener with the flashing red light and set to work. Diana, where is the... <gasps> Her mother stopped, mid-sentence upon entering the room. Her eyes trailed from the cropped pieces of hair pressed between two hot blades to the detached locks resting in a swirled pile on the countertop. She took a moment's pause before reacting. So, you did it. You cut your bangs. Diana set down the flat iron and nodded slowly. Do you like it? Her mother questioned. They're a little jagged, but yeah, I like it. Diana answered tentatively. Her mother didn't tell her that they were more than a little jagged. If you want, I could straighten them up a bit. You aren't mad? Her mother folded her arms and looked to the ceiling before responding. I wish you would have told me, but then again, I would have said no. So... Here we are. It is your hair. Diana smiled and handed her mother the scissors. Bailey sat on her family's well-used piano bench with her fingers resting on the keys. It was hard for her to do her daily practice while she was so absorbed in the insecurity over her short, plump fingers. Bailey, honey, why have you stopped playing? 
"'You need to get in all the practice you can before the recital,' her mother called from the kitchen. "'Mom, I don't think I want to do the recital.' Her mother appeared seconds later. "'What's going on, Bailey girl?' Bailey exhaled. "'I just don't want to do it. "'It's normal to feel nervous, but you are a very talented piano player.' I know. It isn't that. What is it, then? Bailey held two hands in front of her face, spreading her fingers as far as they would go. I want liposuction on my fingers. It was absurd and painful for Bailey's mother to hear this coming from her daughter, but she tried to hide her, her expression. Bailey, sweetie, you are beautiful. Mom! Bailey grunted in frustration. Don't do that. My fingers may be good at playing piano, but they sure don't look good doing it. Is what they look like important? Because what they can do is amazing. Mom, stop. It's important to me. Bailey's mother nodded, mulling over her next words carefully. I have never heard of surgically altering fingers, Besides, there wouldn't be time for that before the recital, anyhow. Bailey rolled her eyes and groaned in response. Wait, I wasn't finished. Hear me out. You want your fingers to look longer, yes? Yes, they are incredibly stumpy. I think I may have a solution that is not as drastic as liposuction, her mother said, retreating down the hallway. When she returned, she carried a pastel pink and purple box that looked like it had seen better days. I had to dig this out of the bottom of my old makeup box. They're really old, and I'm not sure how well they will hold, but I'm sure there's enough to do a full set. What are they? These, her mother declared proudly, are Lee press-ons. Holly, Diana, and Bailey were all boarded on the bus, heading to the water park, Holly angled her face in different positions for her friend, whom she had asked if she could see the slight shimmer in the bronzer she had dusted on her face that morning. Her friend replied with an emphatic yes. Diana swiped her hair across her forehead after turning around and telling the boys in the seat behind her to grow up. Bailey drummed her long fingernails on the seat in front of her, making a pleasant clicking sound as she listened to Tina describe what she would be wearing to their upcoming piano recital. The girls would soon discover that each of their attempts at looking their best would cause them trouble that day. Holly cannonballed into the deeper section of the wave pool as soon as they arrived. When she popped back out of the water, she was met by a group of sniggering boys along the pool's edge. What? she hurled defensively. Why are your boobs orange? One of the boys scoffed. Holly looked down, horrified. They were orange. They are not. Shut up, she returned, splashing water at the group of jeering boys. For the rest of the day, Holly remained neck deep in water, bobbing up and down with the waves. Diana was most interested in the water slides. She knew her curled hair and straightened bangs would be tousled by this, but that was okay. Her hair had looked amazing on the bus ride here, and she was ready to let loose. After zooming down her first slide of the day and landing in the pool below, she realized that her new bangs were at an awkward length when wet. 
They pasted to her forehead with the ends laying just in front of her eyes. She swiped them backward and entered a line for her next slide of choice. Her bangs became a problem once more when she went down the second slide. The entire way down, the short, wet chunk of hair flipped and flopped around her eyebrows and eyelids, making it hard for her to enjoy the water slide at all. Diana's hair remained a problem for the entire day. Bailey, however, had been having a fabulous time until her beloved Lee Pressons succumbed to the chlorinated waters of Splashaway Water Park. She had been in the Lazy River with Tina. Despite its name implying slowness, the two girls were using the gentle push of the current to swim around and around as fast as they could. Their tactic was to swim near the wall, letting the jets propel them forward. On one disastrous go-around, though, Bailey skimmed her fingers on the concrete, sending three of her false nails floating away in the current and leaving the remaining damaged fingernails throbbing in pain. After the incident, Bailey quietly sobbed under a cabana, wrapped in a towel, sipping on a Capri Sun, imagining herself at the recital with three decapitated fingers. The following Monday, almost all of the girls at Remington Middle School started their school day concerned with the infamous hot list. Where would it be posted? Who wrote it? Why are they doing this to us? Nobody, though, was more concerned with the list than Sally Crenshaw. From the moment she had unearthed the note decreeing that there would be such an atrocious list, Sally felt a strong need to do something about it. As student body president, she felt it important to look after her classmates and the culture of the school. As a girl, she felt a strong desire to protect her own. So, from the moment Margaret had leaked the news, Sally began investigating the situation. Her first instinct was to alert the authorities, a.k.a. the teachers and principals. But then she reconsidered. If she did that, this entire thing could be exacerbated. She imagined the entire student body of Remington Middle being pulled into the gymnasium for a lecture, which would only leave the perpetrators aggravated and those who had no involvement irritated. No, what she wanted was for everyone to really learn something, so she would be taking matters into her own hands. Using Harriet the Spy-type tactics, over the course of the week, Miss Sally Crenshaw was able to definitively pinpoint the source of the list to two sixth-grade boys. In the eyes of Remington Middle School, this pair was incredibly insignificant. Most of those who were brooding over whether or not their name would appear on the list probably did not even know the names of their critics. This fact definitely made Sally shake her head in embarrassment for everyone in the school. Rather than call the boys out, though, she listened, she observed, she waited. The boys had plotted to make the drop on the bulletin board in the cafeteria early Monday morning before breakfast was served. But what they didn't know was that Sally would be there waiting for them when they arrived. She stood with her arms crossed as the duo of giggling sixth graders stopped dead in their tracks, staring dumbfounded at the wall behind her. Hello, boys. I fixed your list for you. Don't think we'll be needing this now, Sally determined as she plucked the chicken-scratched piece of lined paper from the shorter of the two boys. She ripped it into minuscule pieces before even looking at it. 
Without uttering a single word, the boys fled the cafeteria. As the students filed in that morning, the word spread about the list and the wall. Flocks of students shuffled their way in to get a peek. Sally Crenshaw had plastered the entire north wall of the cafeteria with photos. Not a single girl who attended Remington was missing. They were all there, smiling out to the masses. Above them, near the ceiling, in large, eye-catching red letters, it read, You are hot. Oh, Sally Crenshaw, how wholesome. I wanted to tell you guys one other thing about this story just because I think it's so funny, but the science teacher in the story, when I was coming up with that character, I just kept thinking about one of my science teachers that I had in middle school, and if you went to middle school with me, you might know who I'm talking about. Anyways, the personality of the science teacher in this story isn't based off of my science teacher's personality, only his name. I took from my science teacher because he used to wear new balance shoes all the time and that's how I came up with the name Mr. Newble because I just squished new balance together. (laughs) This is going to be the second half of my interview with Meg from Trials and Triumphs. How do you spot someone with an eating disorder? And if you think someone has an eating disorder, how could you go about helping them? Okay, so this is kind of tricky because like eating disorders hide in plain sight. I think I shocked a lot of people when I opened up that I was struggling with an eating disorder. You did because you shocked me and I felt like, I don't know, I felt like I knew a lot about you and I felt like you had shared a lot with me and I still had no idea. Yeah, I think I told you like what a month before I went to the center. So that was like an entire six and a half years of my eating disorder. Right. That like... None of my family knew, but I saw them, like, at least once a month, ate meals with them. Like, Mm -hmm. it's, like, spotting an eating disorder can be very tricky, and you have to pay attention to details. So, I was, I'm just going to give, like, some of the things that I pick up on people now, now that I've experienced, like, I've had an experience with an eating disorder. Um, So, like... When I was purging so much, I had open sores on my lips, in my mouth, and on my knuckles. So that's like a slight hint of like, okay, they could be making themselves vomit. Um, if what, they, can I ask you a question? Why yes. on your why on your knuckles? Why did you have sores on your knuckles? Um, this might get gra- graphic, so just a warning to anyone who's listening. Um, you stick your fingers so far, like down your throat when you like purge like when the vomit comes up your knuckles hit against your teeth oh my gosh that's crazy okay keep going good to know though (laughs) yeah it's kind of disturbing but it's like eating disorders are rough they're 
they're kind of glamorized in the media like oh you're thin you're beautiful but no your hair starts falling out your teeth turn yellow and start falling out you get cavities like you rot your teeth um I think like another thing I like wish people would have picked up on or asked me if I was okay is I would leave frequently after eating Mm -hmm. like any meal I had, I'd go to the mm-hmm. bathroom or go to my room and seclude myself. And that's right. where I would engage in the behaviors. Um, I also uh, chewed and spit. So I would grab a huge handful of napkins and I'd be chewing my food and then I'd pretend to wipe my mouth off. But I was actually like spitting my food into my napkin. And I'd like pick apart my food. I'd push it all over my plate so it looked like I had eaten more than I actually did. Um, I know some girls will hide food up their sleeves. They'll throw it on the ground under the table, like, or they'll say, I'll eat later. Like, they make excuses not to eat. They'll say, I'm full. I feel sick. I ate before I came. If that's, like, consistently happening, that's kind of a red flag. Um, I think... Uh, another red flag is a like severe obsession with body image, like degrading themselves in front of people. Like, oh, I look so fat in this. I've gained weight. Like, I look gross in this picture. Just like things like that, but in an excessive amount. Um, and like, I can give all these red flags, but eating disorders are also very individual, and everyone's mm-hmm. behaviors will look different. Right. Right. And, and like you said, really, really hard to spot because I mean, think of the amount of meals I've had with you over the years. And did I have any idea you were spitting food into a napkin? No, I had absolutely no clue. And I would not notice you like moving things around on your plate. Like I had no idea. I mean, I mean, I did know that you would get up and leave after a meal, but I just thought it was for different reasons you know i just thought you needed space like you needed you needed a break you needed some space you know and i just didn't i don't know it just never clicked for me yeah and like i don't i don't think it clicks for a lot of people and um there's it's just hard you know like even after like going through bulimia i i still am like shocked at the people who come with me like open up to me that they have eating disorders i'm like how did i not know right because you've been through it and you still didn't know yeah like it's and i guess sometimes you might have to straight up ask people but that doesn't mean they're going to tell you the truth or right it could trigger them or like it could make them shy away from you and they don't want to talk to you anymore it's just like such a a delicate thing but it needs to be talked about and we need to create a safe space for people to feel like they can open up with their struggles so i wanted to ask you another question too that kind of goes along with this what about i mean i have a lot of parents or people who are parents that listen to my podcast and i am a parent what about if you have a daughter who one day develops an eating disorder what should you do for her um, okay, this makes me think of, boys have eating disorders too. I have had two different males come forward to me. Really? With, uh, binging and purging and restriction. 
So nobody's exempt from this. Like, okay, so your gender, age, so, so daughter or um, son. Yeah. yeah. So you asked what to do for her or him or him. Okay. So I would, first of all, like disclaim, like, I love you. No matter what you've been through, what you're doing, I love you and I'm here for you and I'm here to listen and I'm here to help. Just offer your like full support and make them know that it's okay to talk to them about about their issues. Like, because they're not going to tell you anything if they don't, if they feel like mom and dad are going to love me less if they know what I'm doing or Mm -hmm. if they don't understand me. Yeah. And then I, I would probably put them in therapy. That's probably the best option is to get a diagnosis and to start working on treatment immediately because the longer you put off treatment, the, the worse the disorder becomes and the harder it becomes to treat. Okay. Thank you for those tips. The next question is, what do you feel like the mentality difference is between fad dieting and an eating disorder? Um, they're honestly really similar. They're honestly both like really destructive. Um, there is this great book called intuitive eating and it's like my Bible and it's about how diets don't work and how they're destructive and how they're just kind of useless. Because a lot of people who diet will lose a bunch of weight and then gain it all back and then some. Mm-hmm. But both eating disorders and diets, they include restriction. They include like food guilt. Being, like, they encompass a lot of the same things. And I think often fad dieting turns into eating disorders. I agree. I, I think so too. I, I think it's kind of a long the same lines of what we were talking about before, like eating disorders versus disordered eating. The fad diet is probably disordered eating that could eventually lead to an eating disorder. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah, for sure. Like they're both surrounded like around weight loss. I think the eating disorder ties a little bit more like my weight is associated with my worth. Mm-hmm. But so does fat dieting. Like, if I lose weight, I'm going to be more lovable. I'm going to be more attractive. I'm going to please more people. Mm-hmm. And I think why they're both such an issue in our culture is because we place such an emphasis on weight. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, what we were talking about, like, losing the baby weight, right? Uh-huh. Or... Um, can you lose some weight and we post to, to social media, you know, like mm-hmm. we, we act like it's something to be celebrated. Well, and something that I've noticed too is people who are usually like in the process of trying to lose weight and tracking their weight and dieting or tracking what they're eating, they talk about it a lot. Have you noticed that? Like yes, somebody yes. who's doing that is constantly talking about it. And I 
I hate it. I don't want to, I don't want to talk about it with people. <laughs> I just don't, I don't want to talk about how many pounds you have lost this week. Like I just, I don't want to do it. I don't want to hear it. And it's not that I don't care about you. It's I don't care about your weight. I do not care about how much you weigh. That means nothing to me. Exactly. Cause it doesn't matter. Right? Like yeah. your weight does not tell you anything about who you are as a person or what you're capable of or what you're like or what you're good at, you know? Yeah. Well, and your, and your weight doesn't tell you if you're healthy or not. No, you can be skinny, skinny, skinny and extremely unhealthy. Yeah. At my lowest, when I was deep in the eating disorder, like I was not healthy at all. Yeah. It's, I agree though. Like I hate that the world places so much emphasis on what you weigh and what you look like. And it's, it's so disturbing to me that it's like such a thing to be celebrated. Like I remember I lost a bunch of weight when I was a, a senior in high school and I posted my before and after picture and it was my most liked photo out of everything for like, and then two years after that post, it was still my most liked photo. Well, and I think that, I think that people, people don't have ill intentions when they're complimenting you, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just the way that we've all been trained and it's messed up. It is. Okay. I have one last question. You're about to get married. (laughs) Yes, I'm so excited. In less than a month. Um, how do you feel that body image has played into your relationship with your fiance and how do you plan to manage it within your marriage? Um, so I think sometimes like I have to resist the urge to ask him irrational questions that I know don't matter and that have no value. Um, or so like do I look fat in this have I gained weight am I going to fit in my wedding dress like this isn't like a common occurrence but these things pop up I think they pop up for anyone Mm -hmm. you know and so I I think I have to like stop myself and like ask okay does this matter does this how is this going to affect the relationship like of course your partner should like reassure you and compliment you and appreciate you, but it's not their job to build you up. It's not their job to make you feel secure. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And right. So- no, it totally makes sense. And I think it's a trap that like a lot of us fall into. I definitely do. And I mean, I've been married for almost eight years now and I would be lying if I said body image isn't something that has caused issues within my marriage, which is, is sad. Like it's, it's so, it's so like how you look is so not important. Like it's not important enough to be causing issues within your marriage, but when you have poor body image, it does. Yeah. Cause it's hard to be vulnerable with your partner if you have poor body image and like, um, 
and it's hard to maybe sometimes eat in front of them like for the first like three or four months I was dating my fiance um I was really embarrassed to eat in front of him I never told him anything about it or like like let him know what was going on but I was very insecure to eat around him but I've learned as time has gone on that you cannot compare your food portions and your food choices with your partner like you'll be sharing meals together you're going out to eat like you're gonna be doing like a lot of like eating meal prep and like <laughs> you can't compare the two because you're both individual and like some days you're gonna eat more than your partner and some days they're gonna eat more than you mm -hmm. like oh you're totally right so we're about to get kicked off of this recording it only lets me do 30 minutes so i think this okay. is a point where we need to end but thank you so much for being willing to do this and taking time out of your day and for being so prepared this that's another reason i wanted to ask you because i knew if i asked you you would like be so prepared and have done research and everything and i just i really appreciate that about you thank you you're welcome thanks for having me you're welcome we only, we only brush the surface of eating disorders and body image and so like i would encourage anyone who has questions about it to reach out to someone who who's a good source who's a reliable source about questions and about issues good good ending advice well thank you for being here um i love you <laughs> i love you too thank you for having me yeah <laughs> all right see ya. see ya bye bye be doing any tearful ending to this episode like I did with the last episode but I do hope that you learned a lot from both halves of Megan's interview and I know I know I learned a lot and I'll be a lot more aware and I hope that you guys will be able to be aware too just to look out for people who may need your help with their eating disorders or body image issues and I hope you guys have a great week and I'll see you next time. I say see you like I'm actually going to see you. I know I can't see you, but I'm still going to keep saying that anyways. <laughs> I will see you next time, which will probably be in the mini episode, which I'm so excited about. I know at the beginning of the episode, I said that I hadn't really started writing it yet, but I just got back from camping and I did a lot of writing while I was camping. And so I have a good chunk of the story done now that's based off of things that you guys chose for the Choose Your Own Adventure on Instagram. And it is not like anything that I've done before on here or just any story I've written before. And I really hope that you guys like it. It's not going to be like funny and silly like all of my episodes usually are, but I do hope that it sucks you in. That's my goal, is that you get sucked into it and you want to know what is happening. <laughs> and I, I am going to be asking some more questions on Instagram so that I can, I can figure out what the rest of the story is going to be because you guys are choosing it, not me. So I will be asking a few more questions so that you guys can choose 
the rest of your choose your own adventure. Anyways, I'll see you next time on the mini episode. I love you all. Bye.